Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. Well, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know we are in the Sermon on the Mount for the month of July and August, three chapters and two months, and we could spend really a lifetime in there. It's uh, classic Jesus. This is his Sermon on the Mount. It's often quoted in other literature. Other people will quote it. They don't even know who they're quoting, but they'll refer to the Sermon on the Mount. It's a masterpiece. Really, it is. It's brilliant what Jesus spoke there on the seashore of Galilee. If you've ever been to Israel, if you go there, you've got to go to the Sea of Galilee and go to the, the mountain. It's really not a mountain in our opinion because we're from B.C. and we have the real things, but uh, it's kind of a mountain. I thought we had really big mountains until I went to Nepal. No, no, we don't have mountains. Nepal has mountains. Uh, anyhow. They have, a, they have a hillside that Jesus went up there. And on the hillside, he sits down, and there's a lot of people. We don't know me. There were thousands of people. His disciples are there, and he's speaking primarily to his disciples. So this is really for us as, as believers. This is a message for us as Christians. But, of course, everybody hears it, so they get the overflow. And what he says will work for anybody. But really, what he tells us here, this is how we're supposed to live. This is our code of conduct, if you like, on how to live. So last uh, week, we had the Beatitudes, and then... Two weeks ago, we had Carl Gustav Severin from Sweden with us. If you missed that week, you've got to go online and listen to his message online. Carl's a great communicator. It's funny, it's powerful, and you'll enjoy it. And I asked Carl, I said, Carl, would you speak on the Sermon on the Mount? And he said, yes, I'll be glad to do that. So I thought he'd start in chapter 5, the beginning, but he ended. He started the end. He, he, he finished with the punchline. Thanks, Carl. So he did Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, but it was great. It was a good message, and he talked there about how Jesus says, if you hear. In chapter 5, he says, he opened his mouth, and he taught them saying. And then in chapter 7, it says, he has an ear. So Jesus' part was to open his mouth, and our part is to open our ears. So this morning, we have to open our ears to hear what he was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Carl, when he was here, spoke about how you have to build your life on a rock. You've got to build it on in God's house. That's initially was his message. He said, if you do that, storms of life will come, but you'll stay standing. You got storms that come and go in your life. I got storms that come and go in my life. Becoming a Christian doesn't make you immune from storms. It just keeps you standing when the storm's over. Uh, the storm's going to blow in, but when it's over, you're going to stay standing. And Jesus was saying, if you'll take the Sermon on the Mount, if you'll hear it, that's the first thing we're going to do is hear it and then live it out. You'll find that when the storms hit, you don't get blown over. You stay standing. Now, I am supposing that when storms hit your life, you don't want to be blown over. You don't want to be a mess. But you know people, and I know people, when the storms hit their life, a couple months later, they're a mess. And it's all over the place. It looks like a tornado hit their life. There's pieces every which way. And then other people, a storm hits their life, they're standing, they've, they've made it through it, maybe a little bruised, but they didn't lose a lot. That's what God wants us to be. Now, I have an assignment for you this morning, homework assignment. We gave it at the service last night. Early service got it as well, so we thought we'd give you the homework assignment too. Uh, nobody looks too thrilled about it, but we'll give you the homework assignment anyhow. It's not that hard, really. It's a pretty easy assignment. When you leave church today, take a little walk down Georgia Street, and there's a, a, a visual lesson for us there. There's an art gallery along the side of the street. When they built the Shangri-La next door... High-rise buildings have to do something what the city calls a community amenity. You have to give something back to the city. So they'll give a park or they'll give a daycare or they'll give something back to the city. Well, when they built next door, what they gave us was an art gallery, an outdoor art gallery. And so down Georgia Street here, you'll see these, this art gallery. And there's a bunch of, they look like shacks, a little house that used to be 
the replicas of houses that used to be on the North Shore, and they've reconstructed them, and that's the artwork, and it's pretty cool artwork. So when you go by and look at the shack, and then just a few feet away is the Shangri-La, 600 feet high, 100 feet deep. This is an amazing building. Now, the point is that you can have the shack or you can have the building. The choice is up to you. Shack doesn't take very long to build, but the first storm that comes along, it's likely going to be spread all over the place. Or you can build your life like a Shangri-La. God wants your life to be like that. To build a Shangri-La, they were months digging the hole. Truckload after truckload after dirt came out of there. All these cement trucks pulled up. Rebar pulled up. Dirty, muddy. For months, they were building the foundation. Then all of a sudden, this building started to take shape. You go, wow, what a building. Strong, tall. That's what God wants to do with your life. Deep foundation. Build it tall. Build it strong. Or you can build it like a shack. The choice is yours. A couple of months ago, I was counseling this fellow, and he was getting married. And We're going through marriage counseling. Dan helps here with our marriage classes and courses. And Dan, this couple came up to me, and they said, you know, we... We want, to, we want to get married. And I said, okay, great. Uh, where are you at? And, uh, well, you know, they, they really hadn't been laying much of a foundation so far because they, uh, they weren't taking God's course, put it that way. They, they hadn't built it upon the rock so far. And uh, they had just kind of done whatever they wanted to do and lived any way they wanted to live. And I said, you know what? Why don't you, build a, why don't you take time to really do this right? Come to some premarital courses. Let's build a foundation and let's build it right. And uh, it was like, man, they just... They just couldn't understand the concept that this would, this is what God would want for them is to take time to build a foundation, go deep, and and I even recommended you know between now and your wedding day if you really want to lay a foundation, I suggest you don't live in the same house and sleep in the same bed. Just a thought. <laughs> it's it would be it would be make for a better foundation. Just just. Take God's word and, and follow it. And uh, if you don't believe the Bible, we can give you a list of stats on the difference between couples who say, I'm going to wait till marriage versus those who, who don't and just say, now how, how, what, what kind of marriage? You want the Shangri-La or you want the shack? And I actually gave them this illustration. I said, which one do you want? Because you get to choose. You can choose for your marriage. You can choose for your life what you want. The Sermon on the Mount is the stuff that builds tall structures. So let's get into that this morning. Last week you had the Beatitudes and we had four amazing preachers who hit home runs last week. And uh, last week this time Brian was speaking. Then we had Dan speak later at 1230. And James did Saturday night and Ellen did the morning. So we had four great speakers. Uh, and you can go back and listen to that online if you missed the Beatitudes. It's good to know the Beatitudes because it ties into what he says here this morning in Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 to 16. It's in your notes. It says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Would you look at your neighbor and just say, you are the salt of the earth. So if Jesus said it and your neighbor says it, you know, it's got to be true. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing. Thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Then it says, you are the light of the world. So would you look at your neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. Some of you didn't really mean that. At least you didn't look like you meant it. But you're, like, you're the light of the world? Oh, okay, I'll say it. <laughs> so you've got to say it with meaning. Jesus, he was saying it with meaning. You are the light of the world. He looked at his disciples and said, you're the salt of the earth. He said, I'm counting on you guys. 
God's got a word for coastal church this morning. It's very simple. Coastal church, you are the salt of Vancouver. Coastal church, you are the light of Vancouver. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, I don't know about that. Maybe some missionary from some other country or maybe somebody else, Salvation Army will roll in or maybe YWAM will come along or maybe somebody else. No, 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 you are the salt. You are the light. You're it. We're it, guys. <laughs> this is what God's got to work with. He looked at his disciples. They're a bunch of ordinary fishermen. He looked at us. We're, we're just ordinary people in the heart of the city. But you know what? With God, that's enough. You're the salt. You're the light. We can make a difference in our city today. So you're the salt. You're the light. He said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor did light. They light a lamp and put it under a basket on a lampstand that gives light to all who are in the house. That says, let your light, yet your light. Oh, no, it could be my life group leader's light. Or it could be the pastor's light. Or it could be this person's light. No, no, it's your light. Let your light. Jesus is very straight about this. Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works. So if you like, if you have a pen, circle your light and circle your good works. Of course, you don't have to if you don't want to. That's totally optional. I had a lady once meet me after. I go to school. I've been to school. I don't like filling in blanks, and I don't like circling things at church. If you don't like it, that's okay. It's just a thought. It will help you remember. That's all. So let your light, if you like, you can circle your light, and your good works, your light, your good works, glorify you. See, if you were circling, you would have caught that, you know. <laughs> no, no. Your light and your good works glorify who? Your father, right? So you would think, well, my light. Ooh, look at me. Look at my resume. Look what I've done. Look where I've been. Look what I own. Look what I drive. Look what I wear. Look at me. Woo, my good works. Look what I did. I built this company. I did that. I did this. Woo, look at me. Hey. No, no, that's not the way it works. Let your light and your good works bring glory to God. We should bring, he, do, he alone deserves the glory. Amen? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy glory, to God be the glory. We sing those songs, right? So this is Sermon on the Mount. Simple stuff, but this is stuff we've got to live by. So in this he says, you're the salt, you're the light. Why do we talk about salt? Because salt adds flavor. A little flavor can help a family, help a neighborhood, help a workplace. Have you ever gone to take the salt shaker and somebody messed with the lid and when you, when you put it in your soup, you get the whole container of salt. Have you ever tasted that? It, it tastes terrible, right? It just like, it makes you gag. And you say, Ugh! Take it away. Get me a new, new bowl of soup. Well, this is, this is what Christians are like when they put too much salt into their family, into their workplace, or into the neighborhood. I mean, it's like, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I got a Bible. Can I read you the Romans Road? Blah, 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 blah. The whole salt shaker one time. I got news for you. Just ease up a bit, okay? Just a pinch of salt will work. It's too much flavor, it just turns people right off. So just a little pinch, just some salts. So you have two extremes, two ditches. You have one ditch where there's no salt at all. They don't make any flavor, or you have some way too much flavor. You know, you, you, gotta, you learn after a while in life, there's the right amount of salt to put, and the right time to put the salt on. And it's that way in life. We have to... Learn to be sensitive to the spirit and how much salt to add. 
Now, when it says loses its flavor, it comes from one word in the Greek, and it means this. Loses its flavor means, are you ready for this? It means stupid, dull, absurd, blockhead. Pretty strong words. So verse 13, we read like this. If the salt has acted like a fool, like a blockhead, stupid, men throw it out. What it's saying is, if in our witness, in our influence as Christians, if we act stupid, if we act like a blockhead, you know what people do? They throw out our witness, they throw out our influence, and they say, if that's Christianity, I don't want any part of it. There's a research group called, uh, uh, I think it's Barnes Research. They did a survey of a whole bunch of Christians, no, not Christians, non-Christians. They surveyed them, and they asked them this question, what their impression of Christians were today. Not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago, not in the 50s, not in the 60s, not in the 70s, not in the 80s, not in the 90s. But in this century, they said, what do you think of Christians? And you know, 85% of them came back, and they said their first impressions of Christians today was this. They're judgmental. They didn't say, oh, they remind me of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. They're merciful. They're, they're humble. They're poor in spirit. No, they're, they're, they're meek. They, that was not their first impression of Christians. And so as a result of it, they had lost their flavor, their influence. They asked him another question. They said, do you know a Christian? They said, 80-some percent, yes, I know a Christian. And then they said, well, that Christian, do, does their life differ a lot from the way you live? And of those 85% that said they had a Christian in their life, only 15% said, yes, their life is quite different than the way I live my life. Jesus would say, you guys are the salt. Coastal church, hello, coastal church, you're the salt, you're the light. Your life should look different than the world around you, the way you live, the way you carry yourself. How should it look different? By doing the Beatitudes. This is what he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Then we become salt, we become light. Now note, God doesn't throw out the salt, men throw it out. He's not referring to your salvation. He's referring to our testimony, to our influence. He says, if it's lost flavor. Our salt doesn't lose flavor on the table. I've never taken a salt shaker yet and it didn't taste salty because salt by itself is very stable. Sodium chloride is a stable element when combined together. But back then when they mined salt, they got it by the sea of Dead Sea. It wasn't just sodium and chloride. There were other minerals attached to it. Water came along, heat came along, and the, the saltiness of sodium chloride got leached out of it. So it looked like salt, but it didn't taste salty. And so they threw it away and they mined deeper to the good salt. It's possible for us as Christians, we look Christian-like on the outside, we speak Christianese, but are we really salty? Are we really adding flavor into our community? This is what he's talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. Secondly, salt is a preservative. It helps prevent decay. We know that it has a sterilizing effect. If you have a cold, you gargle with salt water, and it helps keep that cold away. It helps kill the viruses and the bugs. It helps prevent decay. Years ago, before we had refrigerators, what did we do? We packed meat in salt, and the meat lasted longer. And he's saying, you can prevent decay in the society around you by being a salt, by being a witness. You can help prevent decay happening. God wants our church to help prevent decay in the city, to, to be a light, to help prevent it, to be salty in our city. In the Peanuts cartoon, Peppermint Patty, she comes up to Charlie Brown. She says, guess what, Chuck? The first day of school, and I got sent to the principal's office, and it's your fault. Charlie Brown goes, what? It's not my fault, and you got sent to the principal's office? She goes, yes, it's your fault. You're my friend, and you should have been a better influence on me. 
And that's what the world say. You know, you're salt. You're supposed to have an influence on me. It's kind of absurd what she says, but there's an element of truth to it. We should be a better influence on the world around us. It takes time. It takes some practice to do that. And we're, there's cases in the world today where the Christian population is diminishing and they're saying, what a tragedy. A number of years ago, I was in Palestine, Jordan, Israel. We went on a tour there and uh, we met with Christians, churches that have been there since the day of Pentecost, over 2,000 years, Palestinian Christians. Arab Christians, Christians from thousands of years ago, been there, churches have been there for thousands of years. 1948, 40% of the population in that land was Christian. Today it's 3%. Where did all the Christians go? They left. For a lot of reasons, they left. They, they left that area of the world. There used to be a lot of Christians there. If you go to Bethlehem today, and you have all these wonderful churches where Jesus was born, but the Christian population is vanishing. There's two or three women for every man in Bethlehem that are Christian because they've left. And when we were there and we talked with the business people, we talked with the community, the Islamic community, the other communities, we, with the Jewish people, they said, oh, we wish the Christians would stay. We need them here. They're the buffer between all the, the challenges, all the tension. If the Christians are here, there's less tension in the community. That was their statement. And they all said the same thing. Whatever side they're on, they said, if the Christians are here, there's less tension. They add a buffer in our community. What is that? That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who mourn. They're, they're living it out. And they said, when they've been leaving, our communities have slid downhill. You know, there's over 5,000 Christians in Gaza. You didn't hear about them, but they're there. There's hundred and some thousand Christians that have been there for centuries in the West Bank. And they're leaving that area. And they're saying, the locals are saying, you don't hear it on CNN. You don't hear it on CBC or CDB. They're not saying it. But the local people are saying, we wish the Christians would stay they are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? That was the beatitude from last week. For they will inherit the earth. And they're saying, I wish these peacemakers would stay. But they're leaving. God needs this soul in our community, Vancouver or Palestine, wherever it is. There's a difference when Christians are in a community. And also, salt causes us to thirst. The way we live should cause a spiritual thirst in other people around us. Uh, let's talk about light for a bit. Jesus makes it clear that we are the light. Look at your neighbor one more time and just say, you are the light. We've got to get each other convinced before we leave this morning that we're salt and light. Amen? You're the salt, you're the light. Okay, you're the light. Now, in order to be light, we've got to be exposed to light. We have the sun. When the moon is in contact with the, with the sun, the moon... It, emits light. When we're in contact with Jesus, we emit light. Uh, a candle, to have light, has to be lit. He said, don't light your lamp and put it under a basket. If you put your candle under a basket where there's no oxygen, it goes out. It has to be, have oxygen to breathe. He said, light this lamp. Now, in our house, we have something called ornamental candle, uh, candles. I don't know if you guys have that in your house. Ornamental candles. And I made the mistake a number of years ago. Cheryl bought these nice candles, put them up on the Christmas candles, you know, pretty things. Put them on the mantelpiece. And company is coming over. She says, Dave, can you light the candles? So I get out my uh, lighter, like for the barbecue. I always adjust it so the flame goes as far as possible. <laughs> I don't know if you guys do that, but I like the flame. Just as, hey, you know, we were in, on this cruise, this Alaskan cruise. I almost bought one of these, but I didn't know if it would get through customs. It was a gun. And the gun was about this long. And you pulled the trigger and you had this nice long flame. I almost bought that, but 
I wasn't sure it'd get through customs, but it was kind of cool. Anyhow, that's got nothing to do with the message. We had this. We had these ornamental candles. Said, Dave, can you light the candles? So I get my, my flamethrower and I'm going around and I'm lighting all the candles and having a good time doing it. And then I get to these ones on the mantelpiece, beautiful candles. And she says, no, 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 don't light those. Don't light those candles. Said, Why? They're the ornamental Christmas candles. We don't light those. It messes them up. I said, oh, okay, I don't light those candles. <laughs> now, the moral of the story is this, and there is a moral to it. God doesn't want pretty ornamental Christians. He, he's not into, he's, he doesn't mind you getting a little messed up for his sake. You know, he, he'd rather have us hot on fire than looking so pretty and ornamental. In order for the candle to be lit, it has to submit to the fire. It has to say, light me. In order for us to be on fire for God, we have to say, God, light my life. Debbie Boone sang that song, You Light Up My Life. And she was really singing about Jesus. It makes a nice love song, but it is about Jesus. You light up my life. In order for us to have God light up our life, we have to submit to him. If we allow him to light up our life, we're no longer cold and ornamental. An ornamental candle is cold. It gives no warmth. It gives no light. It just looks pretty when the light's on. But if we allow God to light up our life, we may not look as decorative, but there's warmth. There's light that comes from us. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says, In him was life. The life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. Now watch the last part of this verse. Darkness has never, never overpowered it. When Jesus lights your life with his light, his fire touches you, his life comes into you, that is the light of man. That light lights your life The darkness can never overpower his life in your life. Wow. There will be times in our life we're in a dark place. You're in another country. You're in a situation and you just feel darkness come all over you. You feel demonic oppression come over you. You feel utter darkness come upon you. At that moment, I suggest you go back to John chapter 1. This is a good verse to memorize. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was the life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shone the darkness. And the darkness could not overpower it. When you're in a dark place and you speak those words, it's like darkness just... How fast does darkness leave when you turn on the light? 186,000 miles per second. It's gone. And when you speak God's word, because God's word is light, when you speak it out, darkness flees. But it has to be spoken. It has to be, has to come out of your heart. You got to memorize it. So, well, I'll get my Bible out and I'll look up in the cordons and I'll find it. No, no, listen, darling, you got to memorize it. You got to get in there and learn it. At that moment, you don't have time for it. You got to, it's got to come to you and you speak it out. The word of God is a sharp, Two-edged sword, correct? Two edges. In the Greek, two-edged is diostomous. Really, you know what two-edged means? It means two-mouthed. The Word of God is a two-mouthed sword. doesn't even make sense, but it does make sense. Two-mouthed. God spoke it once. You have to speak it the second time. Otherwise, it's just your Gideon's Bible sitting on the table. You can be in a hotel room tormented in your mind... And that Gideon's Bible does nothing for you. 
But if you got that Gideon's Bible out and you began to read that Gideon's Bible out of your mouth, now that two-edged sword is piercing the darkness and darkness is leaving. But if you don't let that life light your candle, the darkness is not going to go. Anyhow, number one, that was that. Number two, the light is to shine out of us. It doesn't shine out of heaven. Remember, he's counting on us, Coastal Church. You're the light, you're the salt. It's got to shine out of our life. Look at Colossians 1.27. It says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What's the mystery? What is the biggest mystery in the Bible? What would Indiana Jones go looking for? This is what he'd go looking for. What is the mystery? What is the greatest mystery? Here it is. The greatest mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Jesus shines out of your life. How is Vancouver going to discover God? The biggest way Vancouver discovers God is he's reflected in your life. That's a sobering thought. But that's what he was saying in the Sermon on the Mount, folks. He says, you're the salt, you're the light. You are my representative. And the way this city, the way your neighbors, the way your friends, your workplace is going to discover God is the way he's reflected in your life. So here's the Beatitudes, here's the instructions, here's how to live. This will make the difference. Look at Ezekiel 36, 23. I will show you how great my name is, the name you dishonored among the nations. Have you ever heard the name of Jesus dishonored? Watch a movie, you'll hear it. Go to work, you'll hear it. They dishonor his name. It's interesting how the name of Jesus is dishonored, but you don't hear other religious teachers' name dishonored. His name is dishonored. But then he goes on to say, and when I reveal my holiness through you. The way we live should be a little bit different. Holiness means set apart for something better, sanctified. When I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes. You know the world watches? Oh, you got baptized, did you? Huh. You went down to English Bay. You got baptized. So you become a Christian. Oh, okay. Let's just see. Because the world will measure you on what they think a Christian should be like. Have you discovered that yet? They have their own. I don't know where they get it from. Sometimes it's some good stuff. Sometimes it's just a mixture of stuff. But they have this idea of how Christians should live. Now, don't keep your happiness in their head. Don't live to please them. You live to please Jesus. And thank God he's a God of mercy and grace. Otherwise, it gets very frustrating trying to live a Christian life to please some people. But live to please Jesus, it's a whole lot easier. He says, but they'll watch you as you live out your life. And he goes on to say, here, I'll reveal my holiness through you before the very eyes, says the sovereign Lord. Now watch the last part of this verse. Then, when, when you, when he, when you, we're living out this life, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. When will they figure it out? Do we have the nations in Vancouver? I think so. You look around this morning. We've probably got somebody from South America. There's probably somebody from Europe. There's somebody, somebody from Asia. The world's here. The world has come to Vancouver. Within two blocks, you can find probably somebody from every continent on the planet. There's probably somebody from every continent on the planet in the room here today. The nations are here. When will the nations discover God in Vancouver? When? When they see Christ in us. When we're salt, we're light, that's when they discover it. Wow. It's exciting. The most amazing thing that happens is when, like we saw in this baptism clip, somebody says, I give my life to Jesus. It's the greatest miracle. 
when I saw Lucy getting baptized on that vehicle. Wow! When we saw Rebecca's boys getting baptized, like Cheryl said, her, it was not too long ago. It was a few years ago, I guess, when Re- Rebecca was baptized. And we just see, that's the greatest joy, lives being changed. It's the greatest thrill when somebody says, I'm just going to surrender my life to God. A number of years ago, we were in our life group, and we were uh, just busy doing the life group. And my friend called, and he said, Dave, I want to go to the airport. I said, okay. How can I help you? He says, well, I need you to drive me to the airport. I said, well, why are you going to the airport? I knew his story. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm leaving Vancouver. I don't want to see Vancouver again. I'm gone. His business had failed. His marriage had failed. His life was a mess. He got hit by a storm. He had built it on sand. And the debris was scattered in every direction. He said, I took all the money out of the, my business I could. I'm just leaving it. I said, but what about the store? What about your employees? What he said, I don't care. I'm out of here. Just take me to the airport. So, okay, pick him up, take him to the airport. And we're sitting in YVR Parkade. And I looked at him and said, you sure you want to do this? Said, Dave, I don't care. I'm out of here. I said, well, just think about some of the consequences. And he's got tears streaming down his face. He's broken. He says, Dave. What am I going to do with my life? I can't fix this. It's a mess. At least if I go back to my country, I can try starting all over again. And he's just broken. I said, I said, when will you surrender and give Jesus a chance? This is the darkest moment of your life. But in the darkness, the light shines the brightest. Amen? And in that, I, I just said, Why don't you, what have you got to lose? Accept the love of Christ. I shared Jesus with him before. So there at the YVR Parkade, we bowed our heads, and he asked Christ to come into his life. And immediately there's a change in him. I said, do you want to go back? It's going to be hard, but I'll walk with you. I'll help you. More than that, Jesus will never leave you forsake you. Do you want to go back? He said, okay, let's go back. So we turned the car around. We went back. Fast forward 10 years. All he did, folks, was he chose to build a different foundation. No more shack. I'm building a Shangri-La. He had to dig deep. He had to relay the foundation. It was mud, concrete, rebar, hard work. Today, guess what? He's out of the ground. He's past that. Today, there's a structure coming up that will stand the test of time. New family, new business. His life is amazing. He's since moved, plugged into another great church, doing great. But he chose to rebuild. Light exposes a treasure in the darkness. Let's look at this one. Luke chapter 15, one of the things that light does is that that's where we find the treasure. The greatest treasure are people. Luke 15 is a, is a lost and found chapter in the Bible. Sheep get lost in that chapter. Coins get lost. Sons get lost. The good news is they all get found. So it's a lost and found chapter of the Bible. Uh, and here's this woman. She's lost 10 coins. Very important to her. She doesn't have a bank account. She can't go down and just take money out. She doesn't have a visa account. This is it. She's got 10 coins. Very important to her. And it says, wouldn't she light a lamp? First thing is light a lamp and look everywhere in every corner of the house. Sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it, the coin. When she finds it, she'll call on her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her because she has found her lost coin. In the same way, you know, he's comparing it to people finding him. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God angels when one sinner repents. Jesus is giving an example here. He says, this woman's lost something very important to her, a coin. What does she do? 
First thing, she gets a light, and then she gets a broom. Why the broom? Because the coin is underneath the dirt. So the coin's underneath the dirt. If I shine the light, no matter how hard it is, the darkness of the dirt prevents the coin from seeing the light. There is an enemy that comes to blind your eyes. I have the scripture reference there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says that Satan blinds the minds of people so they can't see the light. But this is where prayer comes in. The broom is the prayer. We sweep away the darkness. You get out your broom and you sweep away the darkness. When you come to pray Saturday mornings, when you're praying in your life group, when you're praying for your family, you are sweeping back the darkness. And after you sweep back the darkness and you shine the light, there's nothing stopping it. And the coin can see the light. I am convinced that if people see Jesus for who he really is, he is irresistible. Would you agree? I mean, we as Christians, we mess it up sometimes. And, but if, people, if we can just get the message through clear, when you see Jesus for who he really is, he's irresistible. When we were on this cruise and we were going down into Alaska and you see just how magnificent the creation is. And I'm looking out there thinking, like David, God, what is man that you're mindful of him? I'm thinking, what am I? When I see this creation, how grand it is. I'm like a speck. Why would you even want to have a relationship with me? Why would you even want to talk with me? I'm sitting on this cruise. Man, do I even hear God? I mean, he made all this. Does he really speak to me? And then I thought about Jesus. Jesus came that we could understand the Father. Jesus came to give us the Holy Spirit. How great God is. But he would send Jesus so that we could understand him. And when his light shines on our life, wow. We can understand who he is. There's also, light serves as a guide. It helps us uh, help other people when they're in darkness like it did my friend. Is there a difference between salt and light? Yeah. Salt works silently. It works in your food. You don't see it, but it adds flavor. As Christians, we should silently be working. Augustine said this. He said, preach a lot. Talk a lot about Jesus. And if you have to, use words. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but you get the idea. We should live it out. And then light is visible. Light brings things to light. We should give an explanation for our faith. On the last page is a verse, 1 Peter 3.15. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention. Be on the alert. Keep your hearts at attention. In adoration before Christ. That's why we had worship earlier. We'll worship him a bit. In just a bit. In adoration before Christ, your master. Watch the last part of this verse. Be ready to speak up. Tell anyone who asks you. Why you're living the way you are. And always with utmost courtesy. We're the saw, we're the light. People watch us, and at some point, they come up to you and say, Why do you live like that? How come you don't, when you come for a drink with us, how come you're not drinking like we are? How come you're not swearing like we are? How come you're not doing what we're doing? How come you're not this? How come you're not? They start asking questions. And when they ask questions, your saltiness has made them thirsty. That's when you speak up and you say, Okay, let me tell you. And if you're not sure what to say, say, why don't you come to the Alpha Course? Why don't you come to church this week? Why don't you come to Regeneration? Why don't I give you a book? And just, it's really not that hard. But it is one of the most fun things to do in life, is to give away our faith. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message, or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.